Hey friends, it's me, Kaisen, from the Handful of Leaves podcast, where we bring you practical Buddhist wisdom for a happier life. Whether you're surrounded by lots of friends or not at all, I'm pretty sure at some point in life you have felt the feeling of loneliness. It's ever pervasive, we might not necessarily pay attention to it. It can show up in a form of trying to distract ourselves so that we don't have to sit with our own thoughts, or feeling anxious when we have to spend time by ourselves alone, or even having the fear of missing out. In this episode, I'm joined with my co-host Cheryl and Soon to talk about this topic in quite intimate fashion. We share about our personal life stories as well as reflections, such as not fitting into societal norms, struggling with dyslexia, dealing with bullies, not knowing what to do with life, when everyone else seems to have it all figured out, breaking up, and Soon also shared his journey of becoming a monk for two weeks and how he wrestled with his restless mind and the insights that came out of it. The stories that you'll be hearing from this episode might give rise to some unpleasant memories or even emotions. If this is a sensitive subject for you, it's recommended that you take three deep breaths to ground yourself before tuning in. Do stick to the very end as Sun shares a very practical framework on how to deal with intense emotions and dissociate ourselves with our own thoughts. Alright, so let's begin. Yeah, hello. Pleasure to be hey. here. Super happy to be here today. Looking forward to speak with you as well. So soon, you started learning and practicing the Dharma at quite a young age. And most people think that Buddhism is for the old folks, um, but your journey proves otherwise. Can you share more with us about yourself and what made you walk this path? Well, I'm 25 this year. I remember going to a Buddhist camp and they wrote like a quote for every kid uh, on a frisbee. And the frisbee I got was, Soon loves everyone and everyone loves Soon. So from a young oh. age, I, I, I love people. Yeah. How old were you when you first started Buddhism? Jeez, uh, I was primary three. I think I was like wow. nine or 10 or 11. Um, my first brother, Bin, he brought me to Buddhist fellowship. And yeah, I just met the community, loved the people, loved the lessons, loved the insights. But I must admit, you know, I went to a Buddhist fellowship because I had crushes. <laughs> so it's not about the Dharma back then. I was just like, during the Dharma talk, when you're giving like very insightful Dharma talks, I would just be thinking, oh, is my posture good? Am I sitting good? So that the girl that sees me thinks I'm a very devout Buddhist. Yeah, so, so that was like the main motivation for many years, for a good six years. And I always like to tell people, and I've been Dharma or learning Dharma for over 10 years, but only four to five years was actual Dharma. Going there with the intention not for something external like people or finding a girlfriend or a crush, but more about my personal development. Mm. And that trigger was in secondary three when I had to make a decision. I was in a principal's office. I was sitting there with my parents and the principal was like, you got to make a decision. Do you want to retain and retake sec three again? Or you can still go to SEC 4, but your fundamentals are not strong. So you might struggle in all levels. And, and that was the triggering moment. That was the moment where I started to realize that life is not as fun and games as I thought it was. So I had to grow up at a very young age because I struggle a lot with school. And school is our life as a kid. And when you're not good at studying, then what's mm -hmm. your life? And that's when I started to feel lonely and have a lot of questions. 
yeah, so since then, since secondary three, I've been really going to Buddhist fellowship youth and retreats to really understand more about myself, my mind, and seeing how I can give back to the community that has given so much to me. Just now you mentioned about loneliness. Mm. I think many people have a very different perception when it comes to this word. What does it mean to you? When you mention the word loneliness, I think to fit into societal norms is what comes into my mind. And I think that's what links with, you know, being young, being susceptible to a lot of different external perspectives. And then you are told, okay, this is how you fit in, right? You fit in by drinking, perhaps. You fit in by going to camps. You fit in by dressing a certain way. You fit in by dancing on the TikTok, you know? And all these things to fit in so that you feel less alone. You feel less as an isolated individual on an island. So I think Dharma has come and shown me that all these things matter, but there are things that matter more, uh, like morality, like virtue, like being a good person and being recognized for that, uh, making people feel safe, respecting people. I think that has done far more good than following trends constantly for me. So yeah, the reason why I start with, with the Dharma really stems from seeing its value and being willing to put it to the test. To me, it's about experimenting, about understanding and seeing different perspectives. And yeah, but that's a whole other topic. It seems that you actually kind of took that different path, right? You kind of turn towards Dharma when the world goes on with the ignoble search of pleasure, of being cool, being in trend. Was there a point where you felt that it was very lonely before you started to see the value in Dharma? So I think that loneliness uh, was really tied to that consistent feeling of, of being lonely in school. And, and just now I mentioned, you know, as a, as a child, studying is your life. And if you're not good at studying, then what are you in life? Uh, and school is a very unpleasant place for me, which I think led me to, to seek other alternative um, feeling safe. And that was in a Dharma community. So just a little bit of insight. I got bullied a lot in school, mm-hmm. in secondary school. Uh, some instances where I was like kicked in the balls, you know, uh, my phone was stolen. Someone spat on me. Someone threw my bag in the dustbin, you know, was called many names from different people. Yeah, so I didn't fit in into the normal setting. And I realized my whole life I've not fit in. I've not done things the normal way. Uh, and I've started to embrace that. And, and that's why I don't feel lonely doing things slightly differently. Uh, I remember I was at a graduation ceremony and someone said, you know, people laugh at me because I'm different and I laugh at them because they're all the same. And, uh, <laughs> nice one. Deep. It was at a dyslexic um, conference. and So dyslexia is a learning disorder that involves difficulty reading due to problems identifying speech sounds and learning how they relate to letters and words. So to, to put it into context, uh, an average dyslexic has to study three times harder than a normal person. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times when people were having their holidays, I was studying. When people were studying, I was studying. When people were doing something else, I was studying. Mm-hmm. So my life was very different from how a normal person lived. And I, and I learned to embrace that aspect of, of myself. And it was really not easy. And I think that pushed me to to hone my craft and to really understand my strengths and weaknesses early on because if you're not good at studying, which is your life, then you better get your act together and find what you're good at. Many people start feeling lonely later in their lives, I guess, when they start realizing. But for me, it was a kick very early on that, hey, I'm not, I'm not the same. And going back to how we define, how, how I define 
being lonely, right? It's about fitting the societal norms. Mm. And I did not fit into many of the societal norms mm. uh, as a kid. So I had to start finding my own path. And, and I found that path in, in the Dharma community. I relate a lot to your story, but I think how it played out for me is very different. Um, but first, sorry to hear that you were bullied, um, but I'm glad that you know you found your way and you found your unique strengths and really embraced that. So I was also bullied. I, I came to Singapore to study. Uh, I think a lot of the podcast people here, if they are regulars, they would know this story. Um, but I was bullied, isolated. I think it really helped me to embrace loneliness in the sense that I yeah. start to know what it means to feel alone uh, and do things alone and do things yeah. all by myself without other people. But at the same time, I think the opposite side of that coin was that I become hyper afraid of being alone. So I feel that, oh, when I'm alone, it just reminds me of that time that I was rejected and abandoned by everyone uh, in my secondary school. I would get very scared of loneliness and sometimes I would call people out to, to go out with me just because mm. I'm scared to go out alone. Somehow... Or the other, I found a lot of comfort in Dharma as well. But I think it's still that weird balance where I feel that, yes, Dharma sometimes nourishes me. But a lot of times I feel it's just making me more different than everyone else around me and turning me into this weird person again. Especially when all around you, you see people partying, enjoying the material life. You can seem to stand out like a, like a sore thumb sometimes from my personal experience. So how did you reach that good spot in life with loneliness? And, and Kai Sing, I think you have also done a lot of different things um, so feel free to share your comments as well I think it was a process you know, of constantly being with uh, BFY Buddhist Fellowship Youth for, for multiple years so you know a lot of people say that when you go to poly that's when they say like you know people start drinking and everything and that's the hype I was part of the hype actually um, so uh, I was lucky to be one of the mascots in um, the business school and that, that's kind of the big thing where like a lot of people know who you are and I was invited to a lot of different things, like parties, groups, camps. But I would just find myself rejecting them. I was just like, nah, it's okay. Yeah, so I, I think like growing up in secondary school and, you know, I was forced to be lonely uh, and I was forced to find myself. I found myself at a very early stage. And I think this relates back to, to the sutta about essentialism. Basically, it's called the Simsapa Sutta. And so Buddha was walking in a big forest and a lot of leaves were dropped on the floor. And then he picked up a handful of leaves. Uh, and then he said, which is more plentiful? Uh, the leaves in my hand or the, or the leaves on the ground? And, and the monks were like, um, yeah, obviously the, the leaves on the floor. Yeah. And Buddha was like, yes, agreed. What's more plentiful is the leaves on the, on the floor. But the leaves in my hands is, is what you need for this practice and, and this is what I teach so there's so many things in the world to achieve to experience but the, the main thing that the Dharma practice teaches you is how you understand your mind so in my mind after knowing my strengths and weaknesses and knowing my likes and dislikes uh, I had a very clear perspective of how I would approach the world so when people say oh let's go drinking you know my, my self-worth was not like oh no if I don't go drinking or if I say no then they're gonna see me less you know, I didn't really care at that point of time. I was like, I know that this is good in the short term. Yeah, like, oh yeah, making friends with these people is, is good. I'll, I'll be seen as more favorable. But how about my long term? So when I, when I make friends with this, are they going to continue asking me to drink? Right? So what I understood was that you set the precedent at the, at the first meeting. So people are very scared a lot of times when they meet someone, you're like, oh, I have to act. I have to be a certain way. You know, but I'm just like, I don't care. I'm just myself. And if you like me, 
sure, let's vibe, man. Let's hang out. If you don't, that's fine. I don't hate you for it. But that's just your preferences, right? Your perspective, what interests you is this. And for me, it's a completely opposite side. And that's fine. Yeah, so I, I didn't really face like oh no, people don't like me. It was more subtle, you know. Uh, I think what affects me on a more lonely basis is like how close ones view me or perhaps uh, being a leader in the Buddhist community for so long, you know, you give a lot uh, and you really want to support the community and sometimes that kind of isolates you because people start to, to view you in a certain way. I remember when I ended my term with the Buddhist Fellowship Youths and I was about to fly to Australia, I, I asked a couple of people, I was like, what do you think of me? <laughs> Because like, I was giving for so many years and I didn't know whether I'm giving is good or bad and no one tells you sometimes, you know. You can see the smiles on their faces, you can see, you know, the wholesome experience, but there's that self-doubt. And I think that's where the loneliness kicked in for me. It's not about all these like stuff like social events and, and whatever that, that kind of affected me. It was more of like more intimate in terms of how do the people I care about that I've let into my life view me uh, instead of this general public of people. I've seen a lot of people view the perspective of Dharma and the material world as two separate things. But to me, I see it's it's as literally one. Uh, a lot of people is like, oh, Dharma is Dharma. Okay, so Saturday is a Dharma day, and then Sunday is a family day, and then Monday to Friday is a work day. And it's just not the, the way Dharma works. It's not how the teachings were expounded. It's, it's day-to-day, present moment, moment to moment. And yeah. I've seen, yeah, I've seen how not drinking, you know, not lying, not obviously having, conducting sexual misconduct, like cheating, not stealing, has provided a lot of comfort for myself and for other people that are around me. So I'm having a long distance relationship with, you know, my beautiful girlfriend, Adika. Beautiful in a sense of her heart. She, obviously, I looks, uh, I cannot, <laughs> get me killed. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but, but yeah. What attracted me was really her heart, and you know, keeping the five precepts has created this bubble of, of security and trust and respect between the two of us. Yeah, so we talk about short term, long term, right? Short term, yeah, I can drink, I can have fun with friends, but in the long term, I want people to trust. I want to be the person that they go to for advice because they know that you know I won't spill secrets. I think it all boils down to personal choices. A lot of things give pleasure, right? Uh, and the more worldly things gives pleasure as well. But how long is that pleasure as compared to, you know, kindness, compassion, support, uh, and respect? How, how lasting is that? So it's, it's about choice at the end of the day. I really like what you say. Firstly, Dhamma is 24-7. You can see it everywhere. In fact, there's a quote by Ajahn Chah. People ask, what is Dhamma? And he say, nothing isn't. Everything is Dharma. Mm, yes, so everything is Dharma. Yeah. I think it, it's very wise of you to see the long-term happiness versus the short-term gain. So what I gather in response to Cheryl's question of how to cope, I think number one is not seeing being alone as being lonely. Like yes, you can be in the party, yes. maybe just drinking soda versus mm. everyone getting drunk to see that hey, actually it's not really worth it in order to indulge on all this very fleeting pleasure. And then on the other hand, I think it's about recognizing what is essential and what is useful to yes. liberate our heart from yeah, suffering. I can also share some of my perspective because I Please have me. never felt lonely until 
two years ago. <laughs> so it's very, very strange. Because mm. people always say, you know, I feel lonely. I can't really resonate. Since young, I've been kind of conditioned to be, be very independent. And even though my parents are, you know, very hardworking, they are hardly around because of their work, I never really feel like I've been abandoned. Or sometimes I also feel like my worldview is very different from my friends. And even when I sit on the fence and then I'll get into argument, right? Like why, why you don't take sides? Huh? Then also uh, get penalized for that. But I just think, okay, la, I'm different, but it doesn't make, make me feel lonely. But then when I felt slightly lonely a couple of years ago, it's actually very interesting because the trigger point wasn't so much that I was alone, but it's because I felt misunderstood. Mm. And I realized a very big part of loneliness is really wanting other people to understand us, right? So wanting yeah. to fit in because we want people to accept us. We want to feel like we are cared for, we are understood. At least that's from my own perception and assumption. And the moment when I notice people, especially just now you say, uh, you don't feel lonely apart from when your loved ones were to do something or to say something to you. It hits home because it's always the dearest people whom you have that set of expectation that they will understand. But when they fall short of your expectation, then that's where you feel, wow, all my life, I, I thought we were in this together. Then suddenly there is a shift in terms of the dynamic. So I personally, I felt that was an interesting <laughs> insight. And I think it's also a lot about reframing. It's funny because while sometimes you want to fit in, we also want to be different. <laughs> Yes. And what exactly yes. do we want? Yes. <laughs> like what this do one you also want? Like, yeah, too similar also I uh, average. Then too different also cannot fit in. So yeah. I think sometimes taking a step back to see, okay, what, what is the purpose and what is the ultimate happiness that I'm trying to yes. seek achieve, for? right? Yeah. What why is what is essential to you? What what do you yeah. want? And from there a lot of choices become much clearer. What if that is not clear? Like what you want was essential to you. <laughs> mm. Ooh. Both of you are my therapist <laughs> today. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's also letting go of the expectation that you give to yourself that you need to answer every single question in life or have everything sorted out. Mm. I think it can be quite pressurizing, right? Because I'm very goal-oriented. So when I don't meet my goals or I don't set a particular target, then I feel a bit directionless and aimless. And that's where I can feel my mind is very dull also. I think a very, very big part of Dharma practice is to let go of that one thing, one thing to become, not to become, and just go with the flow. Still set goals, but not to be too harsh on ourselves. So then what, what are your thoughts? Exploration, curiosity. Perhaps me and Kai Sing are on the same, same boat in terms of you know, learning to be independent from a young age. And I think that independence came about by exploration. Right? We knew that we were not good at something, or perhaps we knew that we were different, and hence we had to start searching. So when I was at my internship at a consulting firm, uh, a lady was like, oh, wow, you're so lucky that you know what you want at a young age. And I was just like, I'm 25 this year, right? So this is the quarter-life crisis. I, I tell people, my quarter-life crisis was when I was freaking 14 years old. Yeah, because that was the moment I, I realized, oh man, I've been trying so hard to study and like, I've not gotten anywhere. And that's when I started to think more deeply about where I fit in and where I can be a contributing member of society. Um, so that started my path of exploration and, and just testing a lot of different things here and there. So I think when you know we don't have our foundation, it's because we don't know what we don't know. And the only way to step forward when we don't know what to don't know is just try. 
yeah, just test this and test this. And I think my my travels to Australia, which has built another form of uh, independence, has taught me that Singapore is very structured in the sense that, okay, it's after this is this, after this is this. So there's not much wiggle room to explore. Everything is like a competition. You know, I have to be better than you at this. I need to show my results, you know, go to Chinese year, you know, people ask you what school are you in and everything. So everything's like, oh, I need to do this, do this, do this. It's yeah. almost as though death also has a queue number in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exploration is key. And uh, when we view our life as binary, uh, you know, if I don't get this internship, I'm a failure. If I get this internship, I'm successful. If we view our life like that, uh, which we, in a sense, have been bred to think that way, uh, then it leads to a lot of suffering and then it leads to very little wiggle room to explore. I've slowly changed my mindset to a more growth mindset, right? Uh, experiences are experiences. It doesn't matter whether it's failure or success, you know, just take it as an experience, learn. I think my boss told me, at your age, you should be a sponge. Whatever shit people throw at you, take it. Say, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I've been starting to realize that a lot of shit I've taken along the many years has added to my capabilities, my skill sets. And so I'm, I'm really saying no this year. I think that has been my resolution that I've been successful at. Really having, a, having an open mind and just saying yes to a lot of things, that a lot of new challenging things. Yeah. There's actually this quote that says, if you throw shit at the wise, sorry for cursing, if you throw shit at the wise, it would turn into flowers. Oh, mm. they use it as fertilizer. Fertilizer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there are phases in life where we have to say yes to everything and keep that exploratory mind. But it's also striking a balance. Very different yeah. temperament, right? Because for me, if you ask me, I would say yes to everything, but it burns me out. Yeah. And learning to say no becomes uh, then uh, a process of learning Yes. And relearning. So it, it almost seems to me that dealing with loneliness is kind of like wanting to seek certainty. Because mm. Cheryl, your question was, I don't know what I want to do. Hence, should I fit in or should I be unique? If we can maybe start from the point of why is there a need to be certain in the first place? Even when we explore, it doesn't mean that we go through the adventure of exploring, we will be certain about what we want. So is everything certain? Nothing is certain. Mm, <laughs> so why yes. not just go with the flow? Perhaps you can share your thoughts. Like, What do you usually grapple with when you feel lonely? What runs in your head? I think for me, it's just an instinct to run away. Like, I would definitely want to run away. Like, I think it's the worst feeling ever on earth mm. Like for me. So I just really don't like it. Maybe not exact thoughts, but it's really just about how do I get out of this? How do I find pleasure to replace this? Or how do I numb it with something else? And it's always very disappointing because you don't take out the root. Everything that you do just leads you back to that form of loneliness, which Mm. can feel a bit empty. So I'm not sure because I contemplate on like Sun's side, right? Or like the, the wholesome side maybe I don't practice enough or whatever but like, I feel like even the wholesome things like kindness gratitude all the stuff they're also very fleeting and I feel like loneliness is the base that I come back to and that's why I really don't like that but at the same time I feel a bit hopeless because I feel like even if I fill my time up with things it will still be there 
So it's like a pervasive loneliness, if you get what I mean. Oh my God, so real, I'm going to hide in a hole now. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is really good. This is really good. I think this is exactly what I realized in my monkhood um, and in my in my first ever breakup but i'll share that more later but yeah i i, I can totally resonate with that cheryl so you don't need to hide or if you want to hide we can hide together okay hey spill the tea what about the breakup sorry i very people <laughs> i think i think this is a good time as well to talk about it yeah sure yeah. um uh, i was together with my girlfriend for three years she's a really great great girl um and we broke up on very very amicable terms uh there was very very little fighting uh, between us but it came to the point of time where we realized that we just weren't meant to be together in the sense that you know we had different directions we had different interests and even though we had love we were in love back then uh, it just was not enough yeah and so we decided to part ways uh, and I, I remember like a few weeks after our breakup I was alone in my room and that was where I felt so isolated. I was just sitting on my bed over there and uh, just like, oh man, why? <laughs> in, in Buddhism, we believe that there are gods around, not only potent, but gods. And at the moment, I didn't want to feel lonely. I was like, oh, can you know any of these beings just come down and just be with me, you know, just help me, take me out of this pain, why? Mm. Yeah, because that was my identity for three years, right? I was someone's boyfriend and... Mm-hmm. She was my girlfriend. And yeah, so in that moment, you know, my identity was shaken and we talk about fitting into society, right? And, and now I'm no longer with someone. I'm just alone. So what am I? Once again, my consistent feeling of what am I in dyslexia now has been changed to what am I as a single person? And, and, and that took me like a good one plus year to, to really heal from that. And I think that's a quote by Pema Chodron, who is a nun from the Tibetan tradition. I made it my wallpaper now. So she said, nothing ever goes away until it teaches us what we need to know. And I think that goes back to, you know, how me and Cheryl have been feeling, right? Like we do a lot of things to distract ourselves from our baseline of loneliness. But it's always there. And one day we have to face it. So if we say, ah, enough is enough. You know, I, I want to take back my life. I don't want to be ran by this loneliness, you know. I want to be able to sit in a movie theater and enjoy myself. And I've done that multiple times now. So I think after the breakup, I started to go watch movies alone. Beautiful. I'm just like, hey, I'm alone. Nice. I like it. No more anxiety? I, I had anxiety in poly, you know, like because people roughly knew me and I was like, oh, what would they think if I sit alone and eat together? Like eat alone, you know, my subway for a boy. Um... Yeah, but now I, I, I don't really care as much. Because when you realize that a lot of everyone else are thinking the same thing, what are people thinking of me? So they, they will judge you for a few seconds and they'll go back to thinking about themselves again. Maybe like, they will uh, think it's really cool that you actually have the courage to just be... Yeah, guys, think you're too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you, in poly, right, there was this, uh, I think, insurance agent. I don't know why she's roaming around in the polytechnic. So I was eating alone. And then she see I'm very Korean, you know. But I was actually enjoying just being alone because all my other friends, they are either in the gym or like going for other co-curricular activities. You say, you got no friends? Like, why are you eating here? Yeah, like, what's, what's wrong with me eating here? Yeah, yeah. So, it's not I don't think we should make yeah. being alone a problem. And yes, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you need to comment in Telegram to say that 
yeah, being alone in the movie theater is very courageous. Yeah, it's great. Kudos, Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. that I'm op- optimistic. Yeah, I think I learned to, to love nature more because of my uh, my girlfriend now, Adika, because she's in the Netherlands. And you know, the distance is, is quite a big thing. And she recharges by going to the nature and you know, watching ducks and feeding ducks. That's what she mm-hmm. loves. And I think oh. that's how I feel connected with her as well. Like doing something uh-huh. that she's doing from like don't know how many thousands of kilometers away. So I've uh-huh. I've I've learned to be my own person while committing to someone as well which is like the ideal state that we hope to be right to be two holes coming together instead of like trying to find uh, someone to fill that gap inside of you yeah so Mm. i think it's taught me a lot as well long distance relationship it's very interesting and romantic but i'm thinking more on the other side where if we think about doing the same thing or our similarities it will make us feel less lonely Mm. then we can reflect on how similar we are in this samsaric cycle. I know it sounds yes. very... No, 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 it's good. It's really dull good. and morbid. Yeah. It's not, but we are all on the path to search for happiness, right? So yes. it doesn't make me any different from you, from somebody else who might be more successful or less successful. Uh, the rich, the poor, the, the young, the old. All of us have something in common. I'm not so sure whether that brings comfort or is it just sadistic? I don't know, Sharon. No, it's not sadistic, yeah. I perceive it as quite sadistic, like, oh, life is a shit show. <laughs> Everyone's in this shit show together and Nirvana is so unattainable by most people. So, oh, we're going to see each other next episode, next season. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> the, the drama that never ends. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay, I'm just very, very pessimistic mm. at this point. Yeah, that's Come on, fine. Soon, say something to lift her up. <laughs> um, perhaps not, not to lift uh, Cheryl up directly, but uh, sometimes we feel lonely and that's where we get into depressive states. You know, a lot of times people face these mental states and they say, no one understands me or the world does not understand me. Perhaps we don't understand the world. We don't understand that everyone else is also suffering. And when we understand that everyone else is suffering, we feel less alone. We feel less isolated we feel part of the community working together towards Nibbana. And we need to recognize that we don't do it alone. We have people that check on us, that we have people that support us. Talk to people as well. Finding a good community where you can bounce ideas with uh, that can check on you. It might not solve the, the inherent root cause of loneliness, but it helps you shift towards a better mental state. And when you have that better mental state, you're able to deal uh, with that loneliness much more effectively. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And I think we always see loneliness as a form of suffering. I mean, mm. nobody is going to say, yeah, I'm lonely and I can't yeah. right? <laughs> it's usually associated with something that's not so pleasant. And there's another quote that I'd like to share by I Aya Kema. Yeah, none. I'm quotes are so nice, right? It's yeah. so concise and that's powerful. Right. So she said that when we look at suffering in the Buddhist context, a lot of people think that, oh, if we are enlightened, there's no more suffering. Mm. But then it's actually not the case. Suffering is still there. It's just that the person that suffers is no longer there. So I think it circles back to your whole thing about um, where do I fit in, right? It's all about identity. What do people think of me? Uh, Will people think of me as like, oh, now I'm single. I used to have a girlfriend or I was a monk and now I'm no longer a monk yeah. or I'm dyslexic, etc. It's all about this identity uh, of who we want to be, what other people want us to be. So when she said, it's not that suffering is no longer there because it's conditioned phenomena. It would yeah. definitely give rise to suffering if we don't understand mm. the, the workings of nature. 
it's really about letting the person who clings on to suffering go. So I thought like, wow, that is so profound. Mm, that's yeah. so deep. And that reminds me of another quote. Letting, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love quotes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, we were, <laughs> letting go does not mean you own nothing. Letting go means nothing owns you. So yeah, we, we can be of this world and we can interact with the world, but we're not chained down by the world. I think the lotus is, is a flower that represents Buddhism. You know, because water drips and it just slides off. Yeah, so you, you can be part of this world but not be affected by it, you know? It's not about being indifferent to the world, but it's just having a balanced, equanimous view towards the world. I'm actually quite curious because we talk a lot about loneliness, but in both your interpretation, what is the opposite of loneliness? The first word that came to my mind was contentment. Because mm. if you are contented with what you have, you, you won't feel lonely. Oh, there's no more wanting, there's no more craving. Like, I need this, I need that. Uh, in terms of status, in terms of uh, job, in terms of how people view you. If, if you are the way you are, you're not tainted by the world. Anything that comes and goes, just slide off because you're contented. Just adding on to what you share, I think it's a lot also about this desire to be liked, this desire to be seen a certain way. It's always working at every level like when we are at work it's almost you need to to be liked to a certain extent right for for your progress and the idea of being liked is important for our survival as well from an evolutionary perspective yeah so it's almost like yes the ideal state is to be contented and super secure and stable with yourself you know so any validation or no validation really doesn't affect you but at least i think where i'm operating is that i feel it's still very in flux and dependent on on the world and very dependent on external validation as well so i i guess it's interesting to see how loneliness ties in with the desire to be accepted to be liked um and realizing that it is important to find a balance in understanding that you cannot always be liked and accepted by people and loneliness will always still come up but it's how you are able to find peace with that and I really like what you said just now do not let loneliness own you yeah it's interesting that you mentioned it's kind of tied to external circumstances and that you can't be perfect you know there, there will always be people who might dislike you no matter how perfect you are even the Buddha he had people who hated him come on yes. <laughs> if the Buddha had people hate him then like who are we man <laughs> so I mean all I the different know. religion like Jesus or also people hate them or not yeah I agree exactly I agree. so I think contemplating that for me at least it, it gives me a reality check to say perhaps there is very unrealistic expectation that I set for myself in terms of how I want people to like me or accept me. It's just impossible. So fine-tune a little bit and perhaps also change the relationship with ourselves. If, if you think about loneliness and solitude, circling back to the whole concept of becoming a monk, so soon you have been a two-week monk. Yes, two weeks. I, I'm just very intrigued as to how monks can be so at peace with themselves. And mm. perhaps you can share a little bit about how that two-week ordination has helped you to kind of reflect on loneliness as well as build a healthy relationship with yourself. Mankut to me was a lot of seclusion. And on the third day, I wanted to disrobe. <laughs> <laughs> very normal. It, yeah, it was very normal, right? But, but I, what I realized was that I was a slave to my mind because there were so many cognitive dissonance moments because I was sleeping like at 2 a.m. 
and waking up at 11 and then what? when I went to Mangkut, it's like 4am wake up about there and then you sleep at 10 uh, and I was like with friends, my, my ex-girlfriend, my family and then nothing of that, you know, I was just alone and my roommate was a 66-year-old man, right? Uh, and he only mainly speak Chinese and for those of people that know me, <laughs> my Chinese is no go. I am an English speaker. Speaker, so there was like from a huge amount of interactions with people to nothing, mm. and I was just stuck in a room doing meditation, reading suttas, having interviews, uh, with my teacher, to meditation, to cleaning the house, to meditation. Basically, meditation was a big part, uh, and I had to sit down and. I think in my practice of, of Dharma, meditation has been the thing I've tried to avoid the most because I don't like being alone with my mind. So you ask me to go to Dharma talk? Sure. You ask me to read suttas? Sure. You ask me to reflect on life? Oh, sure. I love that. I love reflecting on life. You ask me to meditate? Um, we'll see about that. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, and it forced me to sit down and the third day, I just wanted to give up. There was this sense of discomfort coming from my chest the, the, on the fourth day I, I hinted at my teacher I was like you know maybe can I get my sim card back you know I think he knew it saw it a mile away so he was like nope it's okay <laughs> yeah but after that third day was when the insight started to come in right mm. I realized that when the moment I wake up and I think a lot of Gen Z and millennials face that the moment we wake up the first thing we touch is our phone we start opening social media we start checking messages so from baseline like let's say zero is our baseline suddenly we shoot up with like dopamine and whatever. Mm. And then like our mind is stimulated throughout the day. And even in public transport, I'm listening to music. Even if I'm in the toilet, I'm listening to music. And if I'm not talking to someone, I'm listening to music. And then when I come back home, I want to rest. I can't rest because my mind is restless. And then I have to play a Dharma talk to, you know, ooze and soothe, soothe my mind down. And that's only when I can sleep. And then the next morning I wake up again, the first thing I touch is my phone. So it's that consistent cycle and I couldn't touch my phone. There's no SIM card. What could I do? Look at photos? I don't know. <laughs> so that was when I, I finally understood what baseline was. And that was when I became restless. And when I started to observe that restlessness, that was when the insight came. Multiple times, I thought I was 100% pure heart when helping people. So like I have the urge to help people sometimes. And I realized that didn't come really from a good state. It was not 100% pure. It was because I was restless. So uh, like, let's say I feel restless. I have nothing to do. Let me, I'll text Kai Sing. Kai Sing, hey, do you need help? Or let me check in on you, you know? How are you doing, Kai Sing? So it was not pure. I thought like, oh, I'm trying to help people. But actually, it's because I was restless. I could not stand being alone. But when I had no SIM card, I had to be alone. And I've been feeling restless for what, 20 over years. But I only finally was able to see restlessness in the eye. So that was when I realized, yeah, the mind is the forerunner of all things, you know, a lot of, all things are mind-made. That's so beautiful. It almost seems like you need to go through the whole process and be patient with yourself and your restless mind. For listeners, if you're like soon, you know, always pushing formal meditation practice aside, ask mm. yourself if you are doing so because you're afraid to be alone with your thoughts. And if yeah. that's the case, let's challenge you to maybe after this podcast, just sit for five minutes and see what's going on. And don't judge. I think don't take on a judgmental mind, just embrace the experience. And I think this actually very nicely sums up our entire chat as well in terms of loneliness and how to deal with it. So I would say some practical step would be to 
see what exactly is loneliness to us. What is the flip side to it? Like you've rightly pointed out, it's really contentment. And how can we develop that contentment rather than how can we stop being lonely? Because mm. we have different coping mechanisms that might not be so healthy, like social media, or maybe it's food or a relationship with people always trying to be. So just work on contentment. And then the other thing, it's also to understand, do we always pressure ourselves to want to become somebody to fit in? Then perhaps let go a little bit, bit by bit of that. And just embracing that sometimes it's okay to not figure things out. Sometimes it's okay to be not anybody. Life is a process. Finally, to be comfortable with being alone. Say, if we always hang out with friends, then can we watch a movie alone? Just to be comfortable with our own company. So I hope this offers listeners with lots to think about. Now, on top of whatever we have discussed, Soon, is there anything else that you want to pop it up to wrap up the session? Yeah, I guess uh, finding a supportive community in place was something that helped me through my multiple years of, of feeling lonely and Buddhist Fellowship Youth was that outlet for me. To build on, how can we have strong mental mechanisms? And I learned this in my positive psychology subject. It's called cognitive uh, diffusion. Having the ability to coexist with unpleasant feelings by identifying the discomfort as is. So we try to dissociate ourselves from that thought because a thought is just a thought. So when it starts, I feel lonely. We break it one step further and say, I had a thought that I feel lonely. And then we break it down one more. I noticed that I had a thought that I feel lonely. And finally, it's interesting that I noticed that I had a thought that I feel lonely. And I think this cognitive diffusion technique allows us to coexist with discomfort in, in any situation. Next point of, of, of mental mechanisms uh, would be to arise positive mental states uh, through understanding that we're not alone. So it could be gratitude, it can be compassion, it can be loving kindness. Uh, in understanding that we are all part as a collective group and our suffering is not singular. And um, that's really powerful, I feel, because when we start judging and we start saying, oh, this is my suffering, this is their suffering, and my suffering means more, that's when we start isolating ourselves. And that's a choice, right? But to us, we don't think it's a choice. We're just like, ah, I feel suffering, I, I, I feel bad, I feel lonely. But feeling lonely is a choice as well. And to some, it's harder than others, but it's always possible to slowly disassociate with that by understanding that there's a lot of good things that's happening in our lives, especially living in Singapore. There are some things that might not be right, which, which is normal, but there's a lot of things to be grateful for. Even the chair we're sitting on right now, right? How many people had to bring and piece together that chair, had to design that chair, had to deliver that chair to our house just for us to sit down and just enjoy. So there's so many things that we can be thankful for but we miss it. And I think just to tie it back to the spiritual aspect <clears throat> and the material world, recognizing that everyone is suffering, if you really understand that well enough, you can speak to anyone. And I think that has been really helpful for me. I've spoken to multiple founders of different companies. And a lot of times people say, well, you're so young, but you're able to connect with all these older people. And I realize it's because I'm not talking to a CEO. I'm not talking to a leader. I'm talking to a human being and I see their suffering. I see what makes them happy. I see what makes them sad. And because I'm reaching to them on a human level, not based off their status or who they are, 
they're able to actually give back more to me and they are more willing to help me. Yeah, so it's not singular. It's not either or. The Dharma practice and the material world are together in the sense that we can work on the spiritual practice and it can benefit our material pursuits as well. Thank you for summing it up very beautifully soon and on all the different levels. I think this is a beautiful um, wrap-up for our conversation today. And yeah, I hope all our listeners have found a gem that speaks to them at whatever level that they are facing loneliness and know that we are all together in this boat of samsara experiencing loneliness and trying our best to work with it and to be the best that we can. I hope this episode was helpful and if you like it please rate it five stars and share it with someone and may you stay happy and wise thank you